0: Welcome back, everyone, to Everyday Holiness, a faith-indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service, and my guest this week is senior Maddie Link, who is a history and theology major with a minor in Italian and has an interesting background in story. So, Maddie, thanks for being with us. Welcome to the podcast. Hi,
1: thank you. Excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. If you would introduce yourself to the audience, tell us some about yourself.
1: So I'm Maddie. I'm a senior here at Notre Dame studying history and theology, looking to pursue a master's in theological study, hopefully here next year. I also sing in two of our Basilica choirs, the Women's Liturgical Choir and the Liturgical Choir, and sort of an interesting thing about that is that I have a genetic condition that affects my eyesight, so I'm legally blind and cannot see at all in super bright light and sunlight and read and write in Braille for all my classes and also for my music.
0: Okay, well thank you for sharing that with us. Where do you come from and what's the makeup of your family?
1: I'm from Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour and a half north of Philadelphia, And I'm an only child, which is a rarity on this campus.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Catholic Notre Dame, you know.
1: (laughs) So it's my parents and I, and I have a guide dog um, who's not here this morning, but he's a mix between a Bernese Mountain Dog and a Black Lab. And his name is Snowbird, and my mom has two very old rescue pugs.
0: Okay. (laughs) Those dogs, they'll kind of become a member of the family. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. What was your upbringing like in the sense of the practice of your faith and how that became important to you as a young person now?
1: So I went to let's see, this will be my sixteenth year of Catholic school. (laughs) So sort of being in a religious environment was always important in my family. Went to Catholic grade school and high school, and you know was encouraged to be involved in my faith. So I joined the children's choir at my school. Uh, which was connected to my parish in fourth grade, which was the minimum age for joining. And my mom sang with the adult choir, which I joined in high school. Um, And so we sang together in that group and then in our women's choir at my parish for three years, which was incredible. It was a great gift to be able to sing with my mom. Um, And really sort of she shaped my love of music And she did a lot of work for the Bach Choir of Bethlehem, which is one of the oldest Bach choirs in the country. They debuted Bach's famous mass in B minor in the United States in 1900. Hmm. And so I grew up listening to sort of beautiful religious music um, all throughout my childhood. That was sort of part of the fabric of my childhood. Um, yeah, was some
0: people are dyed in the wall. Notre Dame fans and died in the wall with beautiful uh, well, religious music. <laughs> also
1: a lifelong Notre Dame fan. Um, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah, no, I grew up watching Notre Dame football, of course, and didn't actually realize that Notre Dame was a place on the map until embarrassingly recently uh, I just sort of <laughs> thought of it as this like magical paradise where football happened and snow lots that's of right. snow yeah. <laughs> it's a magical
0: place on NBC yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's good so this gift of music was was really integral to you was that mostly through singing or were there instruments involved in that
1: both for sure so I'm also a uh, Celtic and classical harpist, which I started around the same time that I joined choir and continued professionally for a little bit through high school and loved it. Really miss it. It was a great opportunity. And one of the really cool things, especially about traditional Irish music, is that it is a very oral tradition. So I don't read sheet music. And what's really cool about that tradition is that you would learn a melody by ear and then you would actually sort of arrange it yourself. Mm. So you sort of learn to understand chords and harmonies kind of innately, Mm -hmm. um, which is great for me. And and it also allows you to be really creative with the music. Um, So there's sort of a set melody that everybody knows and then you can put your own spin on it.
0: Has that been something you've been able to play the harp at all while at college here?
1: I didn't bring it with me, so we drive because I have the dog, <laughs> yeah. um, and it, it would have it's necessitated <laughs> two cars, and being in two choirs, I, I just didn't have time, unfortunately. Yeah, um, no,
0: that makes but sense.
1: But it was, you know, an incredible way to meet people, so I played weddings and cocktail parties and nonprofit kind of fundraiser events, all kinds of stuff. I actually got to play with the Bach Choir at their family concert mm-hmm. in 2011 and at Bethlehem Music Fest, which is the largest non-ticketed music festival in the country. Cool. So that was awesome, and they do a lot of really good work for sort of cultural music, um,
0: yeah, absolutely. bringing attention
1: to that, some stuff that's not really in the mainstream.
0: Now, as you were growing up with this visual impairment, how did you come to terms with that and grapple with that throughout your time in education?
1: So my parents always sort of stressed to me that cannot was not a word that we said, um, that there's always another way to do things and that where there's a will, there's a way. And, um, my parents have certainly been my greatest advocates in that going to Catholic school, our particular intermediate unit chose not to support religious schools. Um, so we didn't get much support from the state in that respect and Mm -hmm. so my mom actually did a lot of the preparation of my school materials, which when I was little was actually handwriting most of it, which was incredibly time consuming on her part. But she really set me up for success in that regard. And, you know, I went to a mainstream school with the idea that the youngest, the younger I could start, you know, and make friends that they wouldn't look at me weirdly or differently and Mm -hmm. just sort of accept me for who I was. So I was basically with the same group of students from three-year-old preschool to the eighth grade, and then a lot of us went to the same high school. And they were, they were also wonderful and supportive in making sure that I had everything I needed, and my teachers were incredible and sort of followed the same where there's a will, there's a way mentality. Uh-huh. Um, so they even were willing to rework some of their assignments so that I would get the material, but also not have to do things that were sort of arbitrary for me. So things like labeling a map instead of actually having to get a word bank and label the map, they would have me memorize the word bank and Mm -hmm. just sort of write it out. So I knew the content, but it was something that was less sort of visually focused. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I switched to all Braille in the fourth grade, which was much more efficient for me and for my mom. And I still do all my math in large print. So I'm not totally blind and... I never quite got the hang of Braille math, which I I think is really funny. I'm actually a very visual learner with math, (laughs) Um, and so I still do all of that in large print.
0: And what about this aspect of your life and how it related to your relationship with God and your faith?
1: Oh, man, I think it's something I wrestled with more as kind of I grew up. When I was a kid, it was just something sort of that I had to deal with, and I didn't really think about how it maybe came from God or like what it had to do with that. But I think sort of, as I entered high school again, because our support from the state was minimal, my parents actually purchased a lot of the accessible technology that I needed, Mm -hmm. especially going into high school. Fun fact, when you take calculus and need a graphing calculator, there's only one accessible one on the market that does all the things that okay. you need to do to take calculus. It's very expensive. Yeah. Um, so we were really blessed in that our local Lions Club stepped up extremely generously to sort of support that. And so I went on a bit of a speaking circuit around our local clubs to thank them and to demonstrate the technology that they made available to me. And so I think sort of that opportunity allowed me to meet a lot of really amazing people that I probably would never have gotten to meet otherwise. And so I think in a lot of ways, it's been a gift. I've been able to meet incredible people. I have my dog, who's awesome. (laughs) It's sort of made me, I think, very aware of others, because I can't look at my phone and talk to you at the same time. I am I think, pretty good about being present with people, which mm-hmm. is not always the case, unfortunately. Yeah, we are, we are these things, right? <laughs> um, It's also made me really sort of conscious of my time and of the time of others. Um, so being organized and sort of knowing that it's going to take me a little longer to do some things and, and also self-advocacy, I think, is really important. I think something that a lot of people in my generation struggle with, learning how to ask for help, which... I still struggle with sometimes, but, you know, having this sort of very obvious need to do that from time to time has, I think, really helped me get more comfortable with that. Um, And then also just sort of understanding that God creates us all as a puzzle with pretty unique pieces that might look like a jumbled mess to us, but that there's always sort of a bigger picture and a bigger plan that we don't get the privilege of seeing.
0: Yeah, to know... What God is doing with this in our lives is sometimes only unveiled later, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so you know yeah, I, I can't drive and I need help with some things that other people don't need help with, but I've got to believe that that what I see as sometimes a limitation is sort of opening me up to what God needs me to be doing. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that is yet, but I hope and pray that He keeps me on the path to figure it out,
0: yeah. What led you to come to the university? Obviously you did well in high school to be able to be admitted. What was that discernment like?
1: So there were a bunch of factors going into it. I, When I was in high school, I thought that I wanted to be a diplomat with a sort of special expertise in the role of religion in conflict. Um, so that sort of led me to have a lot of interest in our Kroc Institute and I did a 10-day leadership seminar here between my junior and senior years of high school, which was an incredible opportunity to work with professors and try and address real-world issues involving a lot of aspects of conflict and conflict resolution, but especially uh, the role of religion. And I knew that I wanted to be in an institution where faith was important and was talked about and was valued somewhere where mass was easily accessible obviously here you know we are blessed at the basilica and all of the residence hall chapels so it's a really important part of sort of the fabric of notre dame which i really liked obviously academics awesome Um, (laughs) football awesome and of course disability services was really important Hmm. Um, so part of the discernment process at these different universities was, was looking at what they would be able to provide, how they interfaced with students, what that relationship looked like, whether it was more sort of the student having to take a lot of initiative or whether they were going to be more sort of present and reaching out more and and taking some of the initiative on their own. Obviously self-advocacy is important, but I think it's also good when those institutions on campus let the students know that they're there. And even the layout of the campus was something that we looked at. So Notre Dame is primarily flat, which is really good when you can't see steps or broken bricks or giant hills, <laughs> etc. that were on some of the other campuses we looked at. So it was everything from sort of the practical of my disability to having a religious aspect to going to a top tier institution in Notre Dame fit all three. So the first time I was here, went to a game against Northwestern. We lost by one point in overtime. (laughs) I think to this day, having been here for three winters and coming on to a fourth, it's the coldest I've ever been in my life. (laughs) And I fell in love with the place anyway.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's great. And what has the experience been like? You mentioned disability services. I also think about the residence halls and professors here. What has it been like, Absolutely. not only because of your disability, but just in general as a student?
1: It's been incredible. I love it. I love it so much that I'm applying to spend two more years here. <laughs> um, I've had an incredible opportunity experience. The, the residence halls have been great. The Lyons Hall community is so welcoming and supportive, just in all kinds of little ways, Classes have been awesome. My professors have interfaced really well with the Sarah Bay Center, um, especially, so I'm not a math person at all, but my first two semesters when I had to take math, they were both wonderful in sort of communicating with Sarah Bay and making sure that my homework was accessible and that I had everything I needed to to do well in what is a very visual
0: field. Sure. And what is the Sarah Bay Center? If you could give our audience a sense of who they are and what they do.
1: Yeah, so the Bay Center is the disability services program here on campus. They're known as one of the best in the country. Um, I was actually told that by disability service representatives at some other institutions I visited, which is a great claim for Notre Dame. And they're just phenomenal. So they... I'm sure I'm one of their more high need uh, (laughs) students, but they scan all of my readings, which as a history and theology double major, there are a lot of, (laughs) and convert them into Word documents, which I then download onto a device called a Victor Reader, which puts them in audio format so Mm. I can listen to them or I can read them in Braille. The Word doc is pretty versatile. The technology for the blind is really starting to catch up with the technology that everybody else uses. So yeah. thankfully now we're all on Google and Microsoft, which is really helpful. Um, for a while, the Braille technology was sort of on its own platform, which made it hard to interface with the rest of the world. So they do that. And then just making sure that I'm getting everywhere that I need to be. Snowbird had a little trouble learning this campus because it it is flat, but it's very... Sidewalk heavy and mm-hmm. doesn't really operate on a grid, so the dogs are trained to work on sort of your classic city block model. Right. Um, and Snowbird really had trouble with sort of all the giant intersecting sidewalks and the lack of kind of tangible landmarks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Sarah Bay Center has been great about making sure that if I feel like he needs a little assistance, that there's a student there who's going to be able to help me and make sure that I need to be. Um, They also reach out to professors, make sure that they have all the readings that I need, make sure that they're on track with the syllabus, make sure if there's a change to the syllabus that they know. They have access to my Sakai page so they can get my readings done. Really a ton and they're just phenomenal.
0: Yeah, that's great. And he's not the only one who gets lost on this campus because <laughs> a lot of the buildings look the same, yeah. as we as we often hear to those who are visiting for the first time or visiting after a long time. Yeah. What about this decision to study history and theology, even this minor in Italian? How did you come to settle on those things as your, your fields of study?
1: So I always knew I wanted to study theology in some capacity and It was definitely going to be a minor. That was kind of my plan. And then I took a university seminar, which is, I believe, still a first-year requirement. Um, So it's a writing-intensive, discussion-intensive class that's capped at 20 students all first years, and it's an opportunity to really sort of dive into a topic. So I did mine as my university seminar and my foundations of theology. I was able to count it for both of those Uh things, uh and it was an awesome class. I loved it. Just reading the Bible, kind of critically, and looking at things that didn't make sense, and sort of working through them, and getting to write about them, and read other theologians' takes on them. It was a really, really cool opportunity, and so I knew after that, it's like, huh, maybe I want to major in this. Like, <laughs> I this up. <laughs> love this. Yeah, and then um, kind of the same with the history. I came in sort of torn between history and medieval studies and sort of have settled on studying medieval historical theology. (laughs) So kind of getting to combine all three of those things. But the history major here is awesome because it has a broad depth to it. So there's a lot of classes that you... You have a lot of freedom in the classes that you take and that you have to meet requirements that divide the world into a couple regions and you have to take a class from each of those regions. So it's really cool because... You can sort of study what about that region interests you, but you also get to study things that you may never have thought to study before and are super interesting, which is the cool thing about history is it's kind of all-encompassing in a way.
0: Um, Yeah, the story of of all of us.
1: Absolutely. And then Italian, I studied abroad in Rome for a summer between sophomore and junior year. And in arts and letters, you have to take a language. And so I was like, oh, this is great. Like I'll take Italian. I think it's a beautiful language. I'd love to learn it. Loved the faculty so much. They pour their whole hearts and souls into the department and they're super accessible for students and just absolutely amazing to work with that. I decided to just, just add the minor and dig in deeper and try and really learn the language and the culture.
0: Yeah. So you went to a foreign country for a time in the summer. What was that like navigating that difference in culture and experience?
1: Yeah, so I was actually blessed in being able to do two summer study abroad experiences, so I didn't do a semester, but I did a three-week program in the Holy Land between freshman and sophomore year, and then five weeks in Rome between sophomore and junior year. They were both absolutely incredible experiences. Notre Dame International is great. We just, we have so many resources and opportunities as students. I've been really blessed in being able to do the things that I've done. So, yeah, I don't know. Regarding my disability, um, the Sarah Bay Center lined up a student guide to walk with me for both of those trips. So, I did not take the dog abroad for lots of primarily logistical reasons. Sure. And so, it was, you know, another great way, I think, another gift of my disability is that I have to sort of depend on people mm-hmm. in a pretty intense way and be open to them. And it's it's allowed me to meet a lot of people deeply that I probably wouldn't have really met otherwise. So I worked with students to navigate the the terrain, which in both places is not always the easiest. Yeah, not, not as flat <laughs> as South Bend. No, as open, not right? at all. But yeah, I mean... I don't know. Everybody was very kind and welcoming, and there weren't really any issues, I would say.
0: that's, That's wonderful. I'm so glad that you had that experience. You know, as you've talked about this idea of accepting help and the humility required and the difficulty, I think that's something for all of us, whether we have an acute disability or just as we get older or turn our ankle or something like that, you know, that we have to accept help. And I'm interested in your thoughts on, especially the way the cross and Jesus, this, the stations of the cross I'm thinking of, he's accepting help from Simon of Cyrene, mm. that Veronica is there to wipe his face, that the women are there weeping for him, but really there in solidarity with him. Has that been a fruitful meditation for you as you have thought about your life?
1: I find that I more identify with people like Simon and Veronica when I meditate on the stations and hope that I would have the courage yeah. to do what they did. I think sort of for me in, in meditating on it, I, I've i thought more about sort of the pieces of who I am sort of as a puzzle, like I said, mm-hmm. um, and trying to figure out how they all fit together and knowing that You get a a 500-piece puzzle and dump it out on the table, and you're halfway through it, and you're like, no way, the manufacturer messed up. There's pieces, like, are missing. God is smarter than that. All the pieces fit in the puzzle, and they form a picture that's beautiful and unique. And I think learning to accept the picture, even if you can't see it in the jumble on the table in front of you, knowing that it's in there and knowing that God is going to make it so much better than Anything that we could possibly think of um, has been sort of a a fruitful way for me to look at it, knowing that somewhere this piece of being in this position is going to fit into a really beautiful picture, uh, not only for me, but hopefully for the people that I have the opportunity to interact with.
0: Yeah. Now, coming back to your time at Notre Dame, you said you joined not one, but two choirs, which is no small commitment of time. What drew you to those choirs, and what has that experience been like?
1: So when, in the summer between sort of the end of senior year and coming to Notre Dame, got an e-blast from the then president of the Women's Liturgical Choir that went out to all the Lady Irish, encouraging them to audition, Um, And so I I knew immediately that I wanted to be part of a choir. I, at the time, was part of three, two in my church parish and my high school chorus. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that it was something that I wanted to continue, that music was something that really grounded me, especially liturgical music and being able to offer that uh, in the context of the Mass. And so I did some research on the women's liturgical choir and discovered that they sang for the masses associated with the football Saturdays, either before or after the game. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so cool. Um,
0: (laughs) A big audience each time. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: um, To, you know, have all of this excitement of the game and then like run to mass and be able to offer that gift in thanks, hopefully, (laughs) (laughs) but also just you know, to to offer the gift in the day to God and to all the people who come here maybe once in their life, maybe seven times a season.
0: Yeah, that it's an important place and that coming together for prayer is a part of the football experience for so many people, that this is really a place of pilgrimage for a lot of people of coming back home. So, and to be able to offer that gift is important. Have there been struggles with you said you don't read music but you sing how have you incorporated yourself into both the choirs and and their rehearsals and music and all those kinds of things
1: yeah so i like i do with the harp i learn all the music by ear so the only thing i have in front of me for the choir songs is the words um which i usually get in advance um our choir librarians all through the years have been incredibly kind and supportive in that they type up all the words and send them to me so that I can read them in Braille during uh, rehearsal. And I usually put my own sort of marks in to go through the piece as we learn it. So if there's a crescendo or the music gets louder, I put the words in all caps. Um, if there's a place where our director doesn't want us to breathe, I will tie the words with a hyphen. Just sort of your own little things. You, you learn to mark it and they, your own language of reading the music and you know it's maybe I'm not the fastest learner but it's you know I'm so blessed to be able to sing with both choirs and um, to sing it not only the, the football masses with the women's choir but also for Holy Week which is one of my favorite times of the year um, mm-hmm. to be able to sing for all those services and to sing really exceptional and often rather difficult music. Mm-hmm. Uh, And so it's a lot of preparation, but it's a lot of preparation for everybody. And it's a great opportunity, chance to learn together. And, you know, you just sort of, you pick it up. (laughs) I've never known anything different. So
0: yeah, absolutely. That it's just been part of who you are. Like you said, the fabric of your life. And I even encountered you when you were cantering in front of a football (laughs) mass. So how did that come about? And what was that like?
1: So I was asked last semester if I would be interested in being a psalmist for the first time mm-hmm. and uh the very so the very first time that I was a psalmist was actually at the junior parents weekend mass in well, the joy center in no front pressure. of three thousand people <laughs> terrifying incredible though I didn't I was a junior at the time didn't tell my parents oh my um, gosh. so they they were super excited and i was um the chair of the mass so i actually did a lot of the logistical work in planning the event and so it was a really beautiful way for me to sort of be a part of it in a more in front of the scenes kind of way it was it was an awesome experience i loved being on the student committee for jpw and then the second time I was a psalmist in the basilica we had a visiting cardinal say mass Uh, so kind of baptism by fire but I loved it I cantered in my home parish and so I I had led song in the past always from our choir loft though being in the front is is very different especially in a football crowd where it's packed and I think uh, again a gift of my disability is I can't see them (laughs) so I don't always have a sense of how many people are in front of me but it's a really incredible gift to be able to lead song um, and to hopefully be a, a model and help people worship in a more deep way through song.
0: And have there been positive reactions from people that you've inspired them in some way to do this or as you're doing this?
1: Yeah, so a few weeks ago I had a psalm about one of the verses referenced God giving sight to the blind, right? So I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the irony. Yeah. And I had a number of people come up to me afterward and talk about how they saw in me a sight that was not necessarily physical, of course, but sort of more that an inner sight, which is really beautiful. And I was really touched that, you know, I was able to sort of be a witness and, and. I hope that I have the inner sight that people seem to see. Yeah. Um, I think well, that's a real gift.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can I can definitely <laughs> I can definitely sense that and is part of why I thought you'd be a great a great person to talk to as you think about the women's liturgical choir and all women's group who is serving the church. My mind in some ways, goes to the scandal that we've all been dealing with, and we've been talking about that with, with each of the guests this season. Have there been discussions with your fellow choir members in the Women's Liturgical Choir of how do we make sense of this, how do we continue to be a gift to the church as women, anything like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Women's Liturgical Choir, we're doing kind of an identity project this year, A lot of campus groups don't realize that we are separate from the liturgical choir, which is a wonderful organization, but not us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've really been trying to figure out, because our names are so similar, what it is that distinguishes us as a group of women in the church. And to really think about that identity, we're one of the only all-female religious groups on campus, Mm -hmm. which I think is a real gift and an opportunity for us to really shape an identity to, as one of my fellow choir members said yesterday, women who have a voice in the church yeah. um, in a very <laughs> real way, yeah. we're doing that and we're leading worship in a way that's that's unique. The choir has an active role in worship and in, in the liturgy that I think is really important and good to acknowledge that, you know, that women do that. And we may not be on the altar in the same way that a priest is, but that we have a chance to model a life for, for the, the laity and for the people in the pews, the congregation, and to encourage them to participate, as we say, with full heart and voice in the, in the liturgy.
0: Yeah, and there's this sense that the music inspires people in a way that the spoken word cannot, and that the, the music lifts the spirit sometimes gives us real hope in in dark times, such as as grappling with this scandal, and that you are there faithfully as a group of women giving this gift to people, lifting them up and inspiring them with your music.
1: Absolutely. That's, That's what we hope for.
0: Well, good. I think I'd like to talk about your dog a bit. Sure. So could you tell us more about Snowbird and how he came into your life and what that experience has been.
1: Absolutely, Um, so I got snowbird when I was 14. Um, There's only one program in the whole world that will match guide dogs with people under 18 years of age. Mm. It's based in Canada, it's called Mira, which is a Spanish word for to look or to see which is cool. And uh, I found out about them through an article in a newsletter published by the Foundation for Retinal Research, which is now part of the Foundation Fighting Blindness. And I knew for sure that I wanted a dog. I was never really a big cane user. I I don't know. It always made me feel uncomfortable, or like I—I I had something that people would stare at, mm-hmm. um, that made me stand out. And yeah, it's a great tool for independence, but I, I just was never comfortable with having it. Sure. And so I always knew that I wanted to have a dog, sort of a, a way to be more approachable, maybe. And like dogs are awesome. So Yeah,
0: everybody really <laughs> loves dogs. Exactly. <laughs> dogs and babies—you um, yeah, can't go wrong. I feel
1: like I would rather have somebody stare at my cute dog than at my awkward cane. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I, I think the dogs show a, a sense of independence that's maybe a little different from a cane. Uh-huh. Um, and I was really frustrated that all of these programs, you had to be 18. Some of them accept 16-year-olds, but it's usually kind of special circumstances. And you have to have exceptional cane skills, which I do not. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that that was probably not an option. So I was really excited when I found out about this program, the U.S.-based branch is based in North Carolina. And so I went down there and I did an evaluation, which was really, really scary uh, <laughs> for 14 year old me.
0: Yeah,
1: And I was obviously accepted, which was super exciting. And so I graduated the eighth grade and I went to Quebec and I lived there for a month all by myself Wow! to do the training with the dog. Yeah. Um, so all of his commands are in French because he was trained by French Canadians, which is super cool. So he speaks French. He's a very dignified Frenchman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: right. uh, Father Moreau would approve. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They
1: could have long, long conversations. Whenever the trainers would come to visit me, uh, they would speak French among themselves and to him, and he would get so excited. It was adorable.
0: (laughs) Um, These are my people. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I lived in Quebec for a month to do the training with the dog, and um, there were seven of us in my class four from the U.S. and three from Canada. And it was a really cool way to sort of meet and interact with other people with visual impairments. At the time in the program, I had the best vision of us in the class, which Uh is real scary. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it was interesting because I went to school, obviously, with all people who were sighted, which I'm glad that I did. But it was an awesome chance to sort of meet other people who were going along the same path yeah. that I was and yeah. using a lot of the same technology that I was. And, um, they make Braille Uno cards. How okay. fun is that? Yeah. Especially when you're colorblind and yeah. can't see the regular ones. <laughs> um, so Braille Uno, super cool. Very um, fun. Just, Just <laughs> an awesome chance to meet other people who were roughly my age, who had real similar life experiences and who were all on sort of a very new road together for all of us. It was our first dog, so learning how to work with the dogs and experiencing the sense of independence that they bring for the first time together was really, really cool. Um, and we stayed in touch for a long time after the program wrapped up. And so I had Snowbird going into high school, which was great because my high school is uh, an interesting compilation of three buildings that mm-hmm. have sort of been stuck together with some fun hallways and breezeways and <laughs> stairs randomly, et cetera, etc. And so he made that transition a lot easier in that regard. And then also socially, for sure. Um, I met a lot of my best friends in high school through them asking about the dog yeah. or, you know, wanting wanting to know more about the dog. And <laughs> um, that was awesome for me. I'm yeah, super wow. introverted. So it was really great to have an easy conversation starter. <laughs> yeah, a lot of
0: points of connection. Yeah. And I would imagine that I think anybody who's a dog lover or who's had a dog you know has a relationship <laughs> with mm-hmm. a dog, but I would imagine that you and Snowbird have an even deeper relationship because of how you care for one another yeah
1: yeah it's it's been awesome to sort of have him, and he's totally a big baby. Um, I always <laughs> like to joke that he's the world's biggest toddler, um, <laughs> but he's just so sweet and He loves everybody, which I think is awesome. He uh, doesn't do sort of the typical, like, dog. Like, he never chased squirrels or bunnies or anything. Like, never did that. But if he sees somebody who he thinks is going to love him, he gets so excited and will, like, run over. He's so friendly and, like, just once attention and hugs all the time and so again it's been a great way for me to meet people yeah. and talk to people who I may not have otherwise because they want to pet the dog or the dog wants them to pet him and it's also been really cool because he over time especially in high school has started to recognize my friends and so if he would see them in the hallway he'd like pull me over to say hi and huh. so it was a cool way for me to be able to say hi to my friends because you know I it's something that sighted people do in social situations is if they see somebody they know, they would say hi to them. And sure. obviously, I can't do that. I usually have to be said hi to. Um, so it was a cool way for me to be able to be more of a uh, initiator in those kinds of social situations that, that he facilitated.
0: That's really great. You mentioned your parents a couple of times in all this. I'm curious to hear a bit more about your thoughts about them, how they have inspired you, how they have cared for you, what your relationship with them has been like through all these years?
1: I could not ask for better parents, for sure. They're both incredibly kind, generous, supportive people. They've been my biggest advocates, uh, especially as a kid when I was learning still how to mm-hmm. do that for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've both just been exemplars, I think, overall of, of how to be good people, um, disability aside. My work ethic, for sure, comes from them. Um, My sense of generosity, of giving back, absolutely comes from them. My sense of looking out for people, you know, in in any way that I'm able, comes from them. I think they both just really live out what it means to be Christian and just to be good, kind, loving, supportive people.
0: Yeah, and that reminds me of holiness and... Everyday Holiness, which is the name of our podcast, of <laughs> course, but that in this in this way that they wouldn't have known that you would have been born with this disability or ha- as it developed over the course of your life, and yet it wasn't something... It changed their life and your life in, in the ways that you did things, but not why you did things. That, that the motivation behind, it seems, the people that you all are and, and what you're striving after is similar that, that we're all after, that we're all called to this holiness. So have you seen that in their life and yours, this this sense of seeking after holiness?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it comes instinctually to them, which is, <laughs> you know, really incredible. They they are such good uh, models in that and um, just sort of the way in which they've advocated for me and um, how they've advocated for others and how they are always looking for the best for others in their volunteering and their just sort of generosity in their lives.
0: And I'm sure that you're flourishing here and JPW cantering and all the things that you've done. I'm sure they're just so proud and, and grateful to see all that your life has become and continues to become.
1: I'm so glad that they were able to be at JPW and be able to, to follow along on this journey.
0: And now it's hard to believe it, of course, but you're coming to the end of your undergraduate journey, which is always no. a shell shock. I'm no, <laughs> sorry, it's sorry. not going Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> but what is what is drawing you towards the Master of Theological Studies degree? What do you think is? What are your hopes of doing with that and out of that degree?
1: Yeah. So I I love sort of theology as an academic discipline. I love being able to read the works of great theologians and they really have inspired me and sort of shaped my faith and hopefully the way that I'm able to convey the faith to others. Uh, And so I want to continue that and to have the chance to read more incredible theology and to discuss it and to really grow. I, I think that this degree and the undergrad theology major for sure has shaped me not only as a scholar and a student, but also as a person of faith And so I hope to to deepen that and then to figure out how God's calling me to give it back, whether it's the PhD route, which about half the MTS students here pursue, or something sort of in a more direct service kind of capacity. I hope to to be able to devote my life to others in the context of the church and Mm -hmm. however God's calling me to do that. Um, And I think this degree will be a good way to discern what that might look
0: like. Yeah. And you mentioned an interest of the role of religion in conflict. Has that continued to be something that you're interested in, or how does that apply to your studies now?
1: Yeah, so I I think um, having the chance to study in the Holy Land, where it's really, really prevalent, Mm -hmm. um, I would love to be able to go back to the Holy Land. And obviously one American isn't going to solve the problems that are shaping life there at the Mm -hmm, moment. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I hope to be able to be more involved in that. I had the opportunity to work two summers ago at the Berkeley Institute for Religion, Peace, and World Affairs at Georgetown University and get a taste of the work that they do in engaging with people of faith in all different capacities, including in conflict resolution. And, you know, that could definitely be on the table for the future Mm -hmm. um, to sort of to bring that and to bring you know, God's message of love and peace to places and situations that need that kind of message.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And also on the topic of holiness, we love the saints here at Faith (laughs) N D. Have there been any saints who have have been of particular importance to you in your life?
1: Uh, I think St. Cecilia obviously is an incredible model. She's my confirmation saint Uh and, uh, you know, being super involved in music here especially liturgical music you know i i seek her inspiration and i think the other sort of saint that has really inspired me and to whom i look for guidance is is mary um Mm -hmm. the greatest saint and the model for all of us and the mother of all of us somebody good to go to to talk to and ask questions of and hopefully uh She relays them to her son, and uh, it's just, you know, I I hope that I can live out my life of discipleship and service and love in her footsteps.
0: And she's such an inspiration to all of us because, to your point about not understanding all the pieces of the puzzle, she's a great example of that. (laughs) (laughs) She wasn't expecting an angel to show up and say all these things, and all of a sudden— what piece of the puzzle, What what is this puzzle going to be? And <laughs> yeah. yet, and, and then even after that, over the course of, I think of her as Our Lady of Sorrows and, and all that she went through, I, I, I have a sense that she didn't understand all the pieces of the puzzle of her life either, and yet she remained faithful throughout. Absolutely. Well, Maddie, it's been a joy to talk with you and you really are an inspiration to me, to so many people, and I have great hope that the pieces of, of your puzzle are coming together in a really unique and tremendous way that you're going to really be a source of grace for the church and for society. And so we're, we're so proud of you as you go, at least, at least uh, finish your undergrad degree, and possibly <laughs> stay with us a little bit longer but know of our prayers for you and your future discernment as more of those pieces come together and that this community will be with you. And thanks so much for spending some time with us today.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me and for your prayers.
0: Absolutely. Well, that concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast. As always, you're welcome to sign up for our daily gospel reflection, where we release more episodes of this podcast. And you can do so by visiting faith.com nd.edu/slash/signup. Until next time, we thank you for being with us.